Hi everyone, I'm Sean Maloney from Nutraceuticals World. There are all sorts of legal and regulatory issues affecting the dietary supplements market today. FDA restructuring, drug preclusion, facility inspections, FTC's new health products compliance guidance, and updated green guides for environmental claims are just a few. Top legal and regulatory experts will be tackling these issues and more at the 11th Legal, Regulatory, and Compliance Forum on Dietary Supplements, taking place in New York City on June 28th and 29th, with pre-conference workshops on June 27th. The forum is a collaboration between the American Conference Institute and the Council for Responsible Nutrition. To discuss the agenda and how a changing legal and regulatory landscape is impacting industry practices, I talked with conference co-chairs Megan Olson, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at the Council for Responsible Nutrition, and Tanisha Rudier, Director of Regulatory Affairs at Simogen. If you have feedback or want to discuss a topic, you can email us at nutraceuticals at rodmanmedia.com. So this year is the 11th Legal, Regulatory, and Compliance Forum on Dietary Supplements, which takes place June 28th, 29th in New York City. What were your goals and intentions as chairs for this year's program? So I, I can kick it off. Um, and I have been with CRN a little over five years, so I've attended a number of these conferences as CRN staff. Excited to be co-chairing it this year with Tanisha, who's also our, the chair of our CRN legal committee. So she's very plugged into all of the various issues and concerns we have going on. Every year, I think it's a great conference. Uh, this year in particular, we have so much going on in the industry. We are you know, addressing concerns with FDA, whether it's drug preclusion or the frequency of inspections and how they're conducting inspections. Uh, we've now heard from FTC twice in the last six months with updated substantiation guidance and then their notice of uh, penalty offenses about substantiation. So in addition to the fact that the FTC has been very active on they're working to update their green guides. We still know that there's quite a bit of enforcement around things like use of endorsement and testimonials. Uh, and, and there's a lot of just action going on in the states with things like state age restriction bills uh, moving through state legislators. So as usual, there's a lot going on in our industry, but I think there are a lot of topics right now that we are really excited that the presenters are going to be able to take deep dives into that are critically affecting companies, how they do business and how they're able to innovate and position products moving forward. And I'll turn it over to Nisha to talk a little bit as well about her role. And, and we're, as I said, very excited to have her involved. Involved, uh, both as a CRN legal committee chair and on this conference. Thank you, Megan. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, as a member of CRN, as part of responsible industry, it's really important for us to be able to connect and to kind of evolve our skills. And this is always an amazing forum for us to come together, to be able to learn from one another, to discuss the really important topics. This year has been quite a whirlwind with a lot of activity with agency and in the industry that are really important things for us to be able to address, to come together, to kind of sharpen one another's skills and to connect as we continue to move the industry forward towards a more you know, responsible industry that also has a stake and a connection to the agency so that we're able to preserve our existence essentially. Sure, great. So the form features representatives from FDA's Office of Dietary Supplement Programs and FTC. Uh, what do you expect to come from their presentations and dialogue? This is a great opportunity for 
not only in the industry to hear directly from the representatives, the companies, the agencies that regulate them, but it, it also gives them a chance, you know, they'll, they will be at the conference, uh, an opportunity. Sometimes people are able to have conversations with them afterwards. It really just gives them an opportunity to network um, and to get to know our industry and to see both the companies face-to-face for the companies to see the regulators face-to-face, which you don't always get throughout the year uh, as we're dealing with these issues. We're, you know, putting forward a series of questions, uh, hoping that they will answer. We don't always, uh, times FDA and FTC, if it's an ongoing matter, investigation or an ongoing issue, they, they aren't able to answer those questions. But we we know there's a lot going on with inspections. Uh, we're hoping to to get uh, into with FDA. Um, there's things like the NAC rulemaking that's still outstanding. I believe we'll have a question about that for the FDA representative. Just drug preclusion in general. Uh, questions around. I, I mentioned the inspection process. Questions around the use of this dietary ingredient list that they've put out. So those are just a few of the the you know, big topic issues we want to address with FDA. With FTC this year, uh, we've done some kind of general dives into FTC's practices in the past. This year, we're hoping to do a deeper dive into their claim substantiation guidance since they just updated that. Where are the FTC's concerns? Are there any other areas they can flesh out with regard to substantiation standards in those in that guidance? Uh, and in other areas of concern for the FTC around both claim substantiation and how you make the claims. The FTC has mentioned some concerns about talking about preliminary evidence, for example. So uh, one question that that I'm planning to ask the FTC representative is about uh, how companies can talk about evidence that maybe in the beginning stages is important to consumers, is truthful, but we you know, FTC has expressed concerns about uh, misleading consumers about the strengths of that evidence. Uh, FTC is also very concerned, we understand, about implied claims. So we'd like to do a little bit of a deeper dive into that as to how companies can uh, manage risk and, and stay on the right side of making appropriate structure function claims and not move into implied claims territory that uh, the FTC would, would see as implied claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of piggybacking a little bit, um, you know, really insight um, is really what I think is probably the most important thing here. You know, as we know, agency has been very, very active. And so for us to kind of gain some insight as to where they're looking to go and, you know, what has motivated some of these changes that industry is kind of like, oh, we're not sure, sure we understand or that we agree, um, you know, in the end, as members of responsible industries, we're being led by organizations like CRN, we're wanting to partner with agencies and public health and bringing nutrition to consumers. And so just trying to understand kind of where we differ and continue to show that we align in more ways than we don't. You know, Megan, you you mentioned drug preclusion a couple of times in NAC. Um, how will the forum approach this topic and in, in what so, uh, circumstances? So we have a we have a full panel on it. Um, we also have a panel on the FDA's new guidance on investigational new drug applications, which has some implications for drug preclusion. Uh, we have a great forum on this topic. We have uh, representatives who who actually were the legal counsel uh, in some of the more recent. Uh, FDA challenges on drug preclusion who are speaking on that panel. So it'll be great to have their insight because they worked directly with their client and FDA uh, with regard to the NMM uh, drug preclusion petition. So always good to have someone who had that direct discussion and dialogue with FDA sharing information with industry. 
Um, and I think we're going to take a little bit of an interesting approach in the drug preclusion panel as well. We're going to get into the concerns, the specifics around FDA's recent decisions. We're also going to talk about ways that companies can hopefully set up their innovation moving forward so that even as we're trying to work with FDA to get a more reasonable interpretation of drug preclusion or potentially working with Congress on these issues, uh, companies still need to innovate. So they need some you know, kind of tips and, and discussion around how they can hopefully work moving forward to avoid drug preclusion for their products or avoid going down a path where they're putting in a lot of investment uh, and, and research into an ingredient that is drug precluded. Um, and we're also having someone come in on that panel who has an intellectual property background, because I think one of the things that's also important for companies, you're doing all this research, you're putting in all of this uh, investment into innovation. Uh, there could be ways once you do that and you do it properly and you get your NDI through, et cetera, uh, that you can further protect your ingredient to you know, help bolster your your work um, and, and show consumers. We know some companies brand their ingredients, for example, uh, so, so consumers are aware that they're getting specific high quality ingredients uh, when they purchase the product. So just another way that we we can give the audience, the, the uh, attendees information about how they can best innovate and, and protect and, you know, keep their their product lines moving forward. Uh, now, FDA is restructuring um, in the near future. How might reorganization of the human foods program impact the industry at large, but also for Tanisha specifically about inspection of manufacturing facilities? Honestly, it could be a pretty significant um, impact to, to the industry. Um, most specifically, you know, when you're working internally and you're leading the compliance efforts and the quality efforts and ensuring that the regulations are being followed and communicating these um, very legalistic concepts to kind of a lay person's understanding so that your actual application of them is appropriate, um, having to kind of pivot and, and change to something that's a wholehearted shift um, in agency that hasn't really kind of been tested or understood what the impact is going to be could really upend a lot of efforts that are on the industry um, side. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to hopefully kind of continue to open that dialogue to understand where they're looking to go and what kind of tools and resources that we can use to be able to not quite disrupt industry so much, but to continue to further the um, agenda of overall providing public health and ensuring that companies are being responsible and doing what it is that is necessary to keep the consumer safe. How might industry and, and FDA better collaborate and work together to increase inspection frequency, but also efficiency? So I, I think honestly, um, collaboration really is the answer, um, that there is a more open line of communication where we're able to work together, whether it's using remote um, inspections or if it is using just some sharing of documentation, some open dialogue, even when industry might have questions to be able to actually connect and communicate with agency without the fear that there's going to be some sort of retribution um, when you're really just trying to understand what it is that is needed and to do the right thing. And so I think that there are just just the basic concept really of collaborating and working with together with the intention of furthering the same agenda um, is really one of the 
most important resources and tools that we can kind of seek to further in this end. Now, Megan, you, you mentioned FTC's uh, new health products compliance guidance um, and its, its warnings to industry about uh, ensuring proper claim substantiation. Uh, what else do you anticipate hearing from FTC about those issues? Well, as I mentioned, I with the new guidance, that's why we wanted to specifically invite them to talk about the guidance um, and and where their where their uh, enforcement emphasis uh, may lie moving forward. Um, I mentioned uh, areas around implied claims. Uh, emerging evidence, et cetera. So, so definitely hoping that we can, you know, still continue to talk about the uh, guidance and, and what companies can expect when they're, they're following the guidance and, and how to kind of parse through the nuances of nutritional substantiation. Uh, the guidance is for all health products. So definitely want to be talking to the FTC at this uh, conference about any, you know, kind of concerns, pitfalls, et cetera, thoughts they have as to how this specifically affects dietary supplement companies and, and would be applied to dietary supplement companies. Uh, so I think that's an important piece. Um, in, then we also have a panel that's directly on the, the new guidance uh, we'll hear from speakers that are in-house counsel, uh, speakers that have uh, had a, a lot of work with FTC investigations at various law firms. Um, and I think that'll be a really good way to do a deep dive into the guidance for industry. And we are also doing a workshop that will be before the conference that we, we do every year on kind of substantiation and FTC practices. So there'll be three good opportunities for attendees, especially those attending the workshop as well, to hear what experts, expert attorneys in the industry believe is, is, you know, the FTC will be looking at moving forward and how to use the guidance moving forward to substantiate your claims. Yeah, FTC also has its green guides, which you mentioned. Um, I saw recently Delta Airlines is facing a class action lawsuit related to its carbon neutral claims. How big an area of focus are environmental claims in the dietary supplement industry for FTC and plaintiff's attorneys? So uh, in general, environmental claims are a big issue for, for both groups. Uh, FTC is, is significantly looking at environmental claims. We know we've seen a number of class actions around things like recyclable, uh, sustainable, other claims that you can make for a plethora of products. Uh, it's, you know, across the board, we're seeing it on all products. Supplement industry is not going to be immune to that scrutiny because we, you know, we carry products in plastic bottles. We make recyclable claims, sustainable, other environmental claims. Um, and, and I think that the Delta case is a, it will be an interesting case to watch because it demonstrates some of the concerns that we've raised the FTC in our comments about the green guides, that there's not a uniform federal uh, kind of standard for green claims and claims like recyclable, the, the carbon offsets, for example. Uh, we didn't comment specifically on carbon offsets, but I think it's a similar type of concern. So companies are vulnerable to both state regulations that can be different than what the FTC recommends, can create a patchwork of regulations, as well as class action attorneys. And I know in the Delta case, uh, I believe they they have brought in the EU standards 
uh, is evidence that they're suggesting that the Delta claims may not be truthful. Um, so I'm, I'm not as familiar with that case yet because I saw it just came out and definitely interested in it, but it just demonstrates how hard of an area this is for dietary supplements in any company to navigate because there's not a clear federal standard that preempts state and, and class action uh, decisions, what we're seeing are FTC, state, and class actions kind of taking their own path and using their own forms of evidence and different patchworks of evidence to suggest and, and uh, that a claim needs to be substantiated in a certain manner. Or in the case of claims about like, is your product and your packaging recyclable, states are dictating different ways in which you have to use that term or your product has to meet certain requirements to use that term. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, and important case right now, especially because consumers seem to be willing to pay a premium for brands and products that, you know, have uh, considered their their environmental footprint. Absolutely. And states are also, uh, we're also seeing state laws around the types of packaging that can be used. So California has just passed a very significant law around the use of plastics that's going to be going into effect over the next few years. Um, and so it, it we're, we're seeing companies wanting to tout their environmental benefits. That's hard for companies to do because of the fact that there's no uniform standards in the U.S. Um, and we're also seeing companies then having to re, you know, manufacture, redetermine what's in their packaging to meet state laws for sustainability issues. So there's a lot going on. We're excited for this panel uh, and, and definitely an area of, of focus for CRN uh, as well as the, the, the conference. So I want to talk a little bit about counterfeiting and fraud. We heard, um, we've seen a couple public cases recently of, of companies, actors impersonating brands on Amazon. Um, I know the forum has, will include representatives from the Justice Department as well as Amazon's Counterfeit Crimes Unit. How big an issue is is this, and how big is an issue is uh, product integrity in in the marketplace today? So this is something that we've uh, explored quite a bit with our members over the years. Uh, we just held two, or, or I should say, hosted by CRN, but Amazon representatives were the speakers to webinars for CRN members that did a deep dive into counterfeit issues, how companies can spot and investigate counterfeits on Amazon and report those to Amazon and then work with Amazon to pursue the counterfeiters, help pursue whether it's uh, regulatory investigations or civil lawsuits against the counterfeiters. So we're really excited that Amazon is joining us this year. This is the first time we've had a representative from Amazon join the conference. Uh, this uh, individual, Joe, spoke at or spoke on the webinars, and, and I think he can share a lot of really good information with attendees around practices that companies can be engaging in to detect and, and help investigate counterfeit practices. As you mentioned, there have been some very public uh, counterfeit products found on Amazon that have been very public by the companies that have found them. We are very concerned about this uh, on Amazon also other potentially marketplaces, uh, potentially in in not not the larger brick and mortar stores, but potentially in some of the, the smaller ones or discount stores as well, because we are hearing from members and other groups and, and others in the industry that uh, they are seeing, it seems like more counterfeits than we've seen in the past for dietary supplement products. This issue isn't unique to supplement products, uh, it's uh, other areas have been targeted as well, but it is something that we are 
both through what we've done with our own members and through this conference. And, and I'm sure we'll have other material moving forward on counterfeit issues that we really want members to be aware, the industry to be aware, and to have tools to try to combat this issue. Yeah, just kind of um, to add um, a bit to kind of the industry, um, I guess, fears with regards to it, you know, you put a lot of time, talent, resources into formulating and putting out products that really do meet consumers' needs that are compliant and kind of check all of the boxes. And so um, whether it's in regards to impacting your brand and or adverse event complaints or anything like that, that might negatively affect the consumers um, and ideally where it's very much of an issue that we're wanting to address. And we're really excited about these kinds of forums that allow us to get the tools and the resources to be able to address them and hopefully kind of eradicate this issue before enforcers uh, seek to kind of address them um, with measures that are just a little bit too restrictive for industry to be able to continue to freely um, expand and innovate and meet the consumer's needs. We covered, a, a, I think, a, a range of issues that, um, you know, uh, that industry is facing today. Is there anything else from the forum that you're looking forward to that we haven't uh, discussed? I think it'll just be, it's always a great networking opportunity for those that are able to attend in person. Uh, obviously, we're looking forward to having representatives from the, the regulators that, that enforce and look at our industry, uh, a lot of in-house counsel, uh, as well as uh, law firm experts. So I always a great event. We are happy this will be our second year back in person since COVID and, and very excited for that. Um, and, and just to note too, there we in the past uh, the industry has done a larger conference in June to kind of focus on or June or July to focus on regulatory issues. That's been in collaboration with other trade associations. Um, we are. are for this year at least we're, we're not doing that conference and so this is a really good opportunity for attendees to come and actually hear from fda ftc uh since the, the the summer conference won't be moving forward this year um and this is the the good way to hear what your regulators are, are doing and what they're concerned about megan tanisha thank you very much all right great thank, thank you, you.